Oh, you need directions. Okay, yeah, sure, no problem. Go down here and take a right, and then you'll come up to a stop sign, and just take another right, and you're right there. Don't go left. No, don't ever go left. It's always right. You think we're stupid? This liberal will be all about socializing, uh, uh, basically taking over, and the government running all of your companies. So sad. Thanks and welcome back to Always Right. We've got a great episode coming up for you. We have Chris Doss here to talk to us about uh, the different kind of messaging from Republican parties and Democratic parties and why the Democrats have been more successful of late. And we'll also have the Committee on Intelligence explain to us why global warming is so freezing at the moment. But first, let's talk about the news. Hillary Clinton was in the news quite a bit this last week. In an upcoming book by Maria Shriver, she warns that the clock is turning back on women across America. This was one of the essays that she submitted to Maria Shriver for her book. Uh, little known fact, Vice President Joe Biden was also, uh, he also sent in an essay for the book, but was declined when he titled it, Ending Women's Suffrage Immediately. Uh, he commented afterwards about the, his essay being declined and said it is unfair uh, that his was declined and Hillary's was accepted. He truly does believe that women's suffering has gone on long enough and uh, that women's suffrage therefore should end. Uh, good point, Joe, good point. In another episode, or another book, reporters found that Hillary Clinton has a, uh, a political hit list, uh, a mean girl burn book, if you will, from 2008 of the political leaders who betrayed her and endorsed now President Obama in a move that certainly hasn't turned the clock back on women. Uh, according to a Clinton World source, they said, I wouldn't, of course, call it an enemies list. I don't want to make her sound like Nixon in a pantsuit. No, not at all. Making a list of people to punish when you get into office is not Nixonian at all. I'm sure she, you know, it was just to help remember names. Uh, if you caught the Golden Globes recently, you may have noticed the odd fun fact graphic that stated Michael J. Fox was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 1991. That was your fun fact of the day on the Golden Globes television broadcast. A source close to Fox said he did hear about the mistake and that he was shaking mad when he did. Secretary of State John Kerry said that President Obama is looking forward to meeting with the new, the new Pope in the near future. This announcement was made while news broke that the United States has now fallen out of the top 10 most economically free countries. Secretary Kerry also said, I think His Holiness is going to really be proud of us. In international news this week, reports out of Belgium are that lethal injections by doctors have risen 6,000%. A reporter was able to follow around one of these doctors who makes lethal injection house calls. That's got to be a fun job. Although each case is a little different, the reporter asked, what are the most common last words that the doctor hears from the patients? And those words are, uh, sorry? I give up, my bad. Peter Bergen of the New America Foundation in Washington released a report on the NSA domestic spying program. Uh, this investigation found that bulk collection data 
uh, of America's phones and the metadata that comes from that has no discernible impact on preventing acts of terrorism. Senator Dianne Feinstein of California said that uh, she vows to kill any legislation that would end the program, arguing that she sleeps better knowing Big Brother is always watching over her. Penis pumps cost the U.S. government uh, Medicare program $172 million between 2006 and 2011. And as we all know, uh, <laughs> that's about twice as much as the consumer would have paid at the retail level, according to a government watchdog report released on Monday. Yes, government watchdogs are doing the hard research on penis pump prices. Uh, but, you know, I, I will say that that is the problem with a lot of this discretionary spending. Uh, it can pop up when you least expect it, and then it becomes very hard to get rid of. Uh, but rest assured that if Nancy Pelosi is able to get involved, I'm sure it'll go away quite quickly. Uh, pot legalization has become a popular topic in states since it went into effect in Colorado. Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York has announced that he'd like to legalize it or at least try a limited approach uh, in his state. Nearby Toronto Mayor Rob Ford said he would do anything to help make it successful, including showing everyone how to do it again. And then uh, the last news uh, was that Obama has just signed a new $1.1 trillion spending bill. Before he sat down, Obama looked at the blue box that held the bill and exclaimed, Goodness gracious, that is a big piece of business. That is a big bill. Well said. When asked, though, about the controversy in spending so much, he explained, 47% of Americans will love it. 53% are going to think I'm a jackass. All right, stick around for our great interview coming up next. This episode of Always Right was sponsored by Steve's Crab Shack. Joe says he knows crabs, but who's he fooling? Not us. Steve's Crab Shack. Okay, and we're back here on Always Right, and uh, I've got a special guest here with us, uh, Chris Doss of Leadership Institute. Uh, he's going to talk a little bit about messaging with us, uh, kind of what's working for the uh, Republicans, what's especially not working since they lost the, uh, the last presidential election, and... Uh, kind of uh, a little bit uh, about uh, what the Democrats do in their playbook. Uh, Chris is uh, the Deputy Director of Grassroots Programs at Leadership Institute and the founder of Revolutionary Communications uh, Facebook group, which is uh, quite quite hilarious to read a lot of the posts, Chris, and uh, it's a, certainly a blooming group uh, on Facebook. Uh, Chris is also has a focus on political strategy, message development, issue management, public speaking, and campaign planning. So I uh, want to thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. Thanks so much, Jake. I appreciate the invitation. Well, let's just jump right into it. Um, obviously, Mitt Romney, it, it, so many people, especially kind of from my parents' generation, were saying, hey, Mitt Romney is a great candidate. Uh, he's a businessman. He's got it all figured out. Why is it that his message did not resonate with the rest of the country? Well, to have a message... First of all, you have to know what you stand for. You have to know why you're running. And people would do well to study history and to study candidates, and you don't have to go too far back in history to see some of the uh, biggest mistakes and the biggest successes of candidates. And I think the biggest mistake any candidate ever made was Teddy Kennedy when he was interviewed early in his intended run for the presidency and he was asked uh, so mr kennedy why are you running and he couldn't answer the question he was running because he was a kennedy and he thought it was his entitlement to run for the presidency and that sank his candidacy and people make another mistake about ronald reagan they think because he was a 
a clever actor and knew how to uh, get in front of a camera, that that was his secret to communications. But they failed to realize that Ronald Reagan was a very learned man and he knew free market economics. He knew the concepts of limited government. So he had something for which he stood and therefore he had a message. So to have a message, you have to know what you stand for. And that's where it starts. Well, what is it that you think that the Republican message so far, I mean, if you could do a general summary of it, would probably be limited government um, and less taxes. I mean, I think that's the one that kind of reaches out across the entire party. But it, does it need to be more than that? Does it need to be, uh, you know, how, how can you kind of sell that? Or does it need to be a completely new message? Well, I think if that were the message, that would sell. I think one of the reasons that polls in the last six to 18 months have consistently shown the Republican brand to be dead is that people don't associate Republicans with limited government and with less spending. People associate Republicans with being just about the same thing as the Democrats, more spending, more government. And in order to have a brand, in order to have that association, Republicans have to show people that that really is what they stand for. So it's a combination of being able to articulate it and being able to demonstrate to people that they are bringing about policies that do what they say they do. Okay. Well, and uh, I think you talked about how a lot of people are kind of perceiving Republicans to just be like Democrats, maybe Democrats light. Um, and that kind of brings me to Saul, Saul Alinsky and his Rules for Radicals. Now, I know you've been going around the uh, country with the Leadership Institute, teaching people not only campaign workshops and how to get out there and get active, but also about kind of the, the left's playbook and Saul Alinsky. And, and uh, it brings me back to um, Newt Gingrich during the presidential primaries. Talked uh, during a debate, he said that uh, you know Barack Obama was a Saul Alinsky type, and, and I still remember so many people going, "Yeah, that that jerk, he is like Saul Alinsky," but I don't think anybody really knew who Saul Alinsky was. Um, Saul Alinsky would be somebody that's very proud of the Democrats' "War on Women" slogan, and so I guess I got to ask you, Chris, if we are in a war on women, are, are we winning? Or are we are we losing? Because I didn't know I was at war against women. Well, it's one of those empty phrases that's brilliant, but uh, doesn't uh, have any substance behind it. But uh, if I had to reduce Saul Alinsky to uh, a brief few seconds, basically Saul Alinsky has taught the left to demonize your opponents, make them radioactive, make people despise them and see them as subhuman. And that's what the left has done in the last several years. They've, they've reduced their opponents on the right to uh, being incompassionate, inhumane, and the right has never quite responded to that. And we've seen that over and over again, and part of it is the right doesn't know how to respond tactically, but part of it is the right really doesn't know what they stand for. Right. And I think, I mean, that uh, it makes me think that uh, Mitt Romney's whole 47% speech, although perhaps statistically true, I mean, talk about playing right into the hands of your opponent uh, by essentially energizing half the country to say, wait a minute, okay, this guy doesn't agree with us on anything. 
Precisely. It played right into their playbook. And this is one example of how Republicans, conservatives, and libertarians never take time in the beginning of campaign to analyze, to do a, a message grid, to look at what the other side is going to be saying about them and how they can avoid the pitfalls of playing into that narrative and what they need to say about how they articulate what they stand for. And if Republicans, conservatives, libertarians truly understood free markets and limited government, they'd be better able to respond, but they don't. A good example was Mitt Romney, when a leftist infiltrated one of his uh, highly publicized rallies in Illinois back in March of 2012, she said, well, I hear all this yay liberty and yay freedom, but what I want is free contraceptives. And Mitt Romney's clumsy response was, if you want free stuff, you'll need to vote for the other party. Well, of course, Americans wanted free stuff, and they <laughs> voted for the other party. And if Mitt Romney had fully grasped what free market economics is all about, his knee-jerk response ought to have been, there's no such thing as free stuff. And that showed the weakness of Republicans, that Republicans have forgotten Reaganomics. There are more Republicans who adhere to George Bush, Bush's term, voodoo economics. There are more Republicans who buy into Keynesian economics and government intervention than who buy into Ronald Reagan's free market economics. And if you don't understand free market economics, then you cannot respond. So we need to study Ronald Reagan a little bit and the free market economics that he used to bring America out of a recession in 18 months. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, uh, you know, an another popular one uh, besides kind of the war on women that the left has been using a lot of. And, and you're a native Virginian, so you probably see it a lot, especially in a swing southern state but is the uh, apparent claim that Republicans are racist. And, and personally, I didn't know I was until a Democrat told me that I don't care about <laughs> minorities. Uh, all my friends seem to be quite surprised at that. Uh, how do, you know, th this is stuff that gets perpetuated through the media that Republicans don't care about poor people. We don't care about other races. We don't care about women, all things completely untrue. But like you said, how do we combat that? There doesn't seem to, nobody seems to be giving a good answer right now. Well, there's really no defense against these kinds of nebulous charges. But what Republicans, conservatives, and libertarians need to do is stay on offense on those policies which show the weakness of the left. We need to show that their policies don't work. The unemployment rates and the poverty of black Americans have all gotten worse under the policies of Barack Obama. They scream about income inequality, income disparities, and all that has gotten worse under Barack Obama. So you don't respond to these stupid charges uh, that are so nebulous. You, there's no way to defend yourself. You simply point out the reality under the policies of leftists. That's the only way to do it. Well, I, th I think that's a great point. And it, it reminds me when I've been in campaigns, uh, people, a lot of times the candidate would love to respond to these charges that are so outrageous. But there's a saying, if you're explaining things or defending yourself, you're losing. 
That's exactly right. Whenever you're explaining, you're losing. And another thing that the left does that's that's easy to attack them on is they have gotten into a habit of simply blatantly lying. The war on women <laughs> thing. Uh, habitually around the country, they use the campaign gambit. They'll say that Republicans and conservatives are going to ban all abortions, ban contraceptives. And Republicans are too stupid to respond. You can't ban contraceptives. They're protected under the Supreme Court decision, Griswold v. Connecticut. You can't ban abortions. They're protected under the Supreme Court decision, Roe v. Wade. And there's a maxim among PR people that you don't repeat a spurious charge. But that's not very nuanced. The flip side of that is if you allow a lie to be repeated over and over and you don't respond to it, people might believe it. And unfortunately, low informed voters, low information voters don't know Roe v. Wade. They don't know Griswold v. Connecticut. And when the leftists say these things can be banned, all too many people believe it. So you have to call them on their lies, show people these people are liars. It's just like if you want to, if you like your doctor, if you like your health plan, you can keep it. We've got to start calling these people liars and demonstrate they're lying. Yeah, hit them with the facts. Well, hey, Chris, I, I really appreciate you stopping by. I'd love to actually keep going with this, but we're going to have to wait and do it another time for another episode. But uh, uh, I appreciate you coming and please come back again. Thanks so much, Jake. Enjoyed it. This episode of Always Right was also sponsored by The Spork Company. Are you tired of trying to eat your soup and your salad at the same time? Switching back and forth, ah, it's so difficult. Not anymore. Get The Spork today and make all of your dreams come true. Spork Company. Now let's jump right into the Committee on Intelligence where we will be discussing global warming and why it's so cold right now. Um, so I wanted to bring in a couple of experts for us. Uh, Mitch Chrismer, a returning, uh, a returning champion, if you will, from a previous episode, uh, the uh, strategic and political analyst for Republican state governors and U.S. Senate candidates, now working at a nonpartisan federal agency. Uh, again, that's his loss. And uh, his professional emphasis has been on international and environmental issues. So, of course, he's uh, very qualified for this. Uh, and then our new guest, uh, Mary Tiedemann, uh, a soil science research associate uh, within the agronomy department at Iowa State University. She received her BS and MS degrees at Iowa State in both environmental science and soil science. And uh, her research uh, interests include natural resource conservation and international agricultural development. And she plans to be, begin her PhD program in the fall. So first off, thank you uh, both for agreeing to be a part of this. Yeah, no problem, Jake. Thanks for having me again, Jake. Uh, well, Mary, let's start right in. Uh, and uh, Recently, I've seen some news reports that Niagara Falls is apparently partially frozen and that Lake Michigan has recently birthed ice balls. And that, although that's not in itself unusual, the ice balls part, um, there are some new uh, or unusual parts of the weather and uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo declared a state of emergency uh, as the U.S. experienced the coldest day in nearly 20 years, uh, I believe, last week. So uh, now in 2006, uh, I was told uh, by somebody named Al Gore uh, an inconvenient truth. And uh, uh, he told me that the world is getting warmer. 
And um, I'm just wondering, Mary, did somebody forget to tell nature that it's supposed to supposed to be getting warmer and not colder? <laughs> well, no, I think uh, nature has its stuff figured out pretty well. Um, they just like to keep it interesting for us. Unfortunately, uh, for skeptics claiming that the polar vortex disproves global warming, I'd say is an inappropriate argument. Because uh, ultimately, if you look at the definition of climate, uh, it's a measure of weather patterns over long periods of time. Uh, so for a normal person, they might think of long as 50 years. But by long, I'm talking about geological time. So hundreds, if not thousands, or even millions of years. Okay. Uh, and obviously, yeah, our, uh, global climate has gone through many periods of freezing and thawing over time. Uh, for example, I like to talk about this a lot with uh, students, the Pleistocene. So this is the last ice age. It spanned from 2.5 million years ago to 12,000 years ago. Um, since then, we entered the Holocene, which was 12,000 years ago to around 200 years ago. But this most recent trend in weather since the Industrial Revolution, uh, which we like to call global warming, uh, is what many scientists around my community are calling the Anthropocene or, you know, period influenced by humans. <laughs> okay. I'd like to jump in here real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah, since the since, since the Industrial Revolution, um, the average global temperature has risen by at most only one degree Celsius, and yet atmospheric CO2 has doubled. And uh, according to every every global warming climate change model out there, atmospheric CO2 is the direct cause of global warming. So uh, since atmospheric CO2 is doubling, therefore, according to all these scientific theories, then therefore temperatures should be rising con exactly uh, along with the uh, rise in atmospheric CO2, and yet yet that is not happening. And well, now yeah, and I want to ask you about that, Mitch, because you, you, you mentioned you know what's a lot of the global warming uh, you know, people who research it and, and you know, uh, state certain things about it. And I mentioned Al Gore. Uh, he was, you know, made famous for uh, talking about the hockey stick graph. Um, is, is that the kind of one you're talking about? Does that kind of describe how temperatures were expected to rise with CO2 emissions? Well, the hockey stick graph has been widely discredited uh, over and over and over again. Michael Mann was the person who came up with that. And uh, when he did, he actually refused to disclose his data that he used to create the graph. And, uh, and he did so for very good reasons, because he left out a number of um, inconvenient truths, if you will. For example, the, <laughs> the, the medieval warming period, during which time uh, descendants of Vikings actually moved to Greenland and grew crops there. And uh, they actually grew grapes for wine in England, and, they, and, and they, but they weren't, certainly weren't driving SUVs around, and yet uh, global temperatures were actually warmer way back then. And so, so yeah, the hockey stick graph, uh, again, going back to to, to what my uh, uh, what my esteemed colleague here stated, yes, um, you need to look at the bigger picture, and um, the hockey stick graph completely ignores or discredit or, or yeah, just pushes aside the truths of what the long term trends in warming ha have been. Okay. Well, if if I could add one small thing that I think is really important. Uh, is that there's a tremendous lag time. So, of course, we haven't seen a, an immediate spark in global temperature uh, immediately after the Industrial Revolution started, but there's a lag time of around 50 years. 
So what we're beginning to see now is actually from CO2 emissions that uh, were actually emitted, you know, 50, if not more years ago. So to say that these trends uh, are not truthful, I think, is, uh, is kind of uh, a dangerous assumption. Okay. Well, this, this isn't what Al Gore taught us, though. Al Gore taught us and all these alarmists that all these horrible things are going to happen right now. All these, uh, The United States has gone eight consecutive years without a, without a major category F3 to F5 hurricane hitting the U.S. mainland. That's the longest period of time in history, the, in, uh, in recorded history, without a major hurricane hitting the United States. And yet, according to Al Gore and his, in, and his uh, inconvenient movie, um, <laughs> we're, it's like the disaster is supposed to be striking all over the place. And yet, humans keep pumping out CO2 at record levels, and yet the, 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 the Earth's surface temperatures have not increased. They've actually decreased uh, since 1998. There's been almost two decades, and we have not seen an increase in temperatures, and yet atmospheric CO2 continues to grow. And just every year that goes on, it just further gets further and further disproves everything that the alarmists and that Al Gore set out to prove to begin with. Well, uh, and Mary, actually, because I want to I want to jump in and, and, and okay. move a little bit away from uh, temperature for a bit, because um, uh, obviously, I mean, it's, it's hard to know what the weather is going to be. And obviously, weather is very different than climate. Um, exactly. But um, uh, a lot of people are pointing to certain things in the news as evidence. And uh, th that brings me to my next question. I wanted to ask you about the disappearing ice caps and the loss of polar bears. And now... Uh, recently, a ship, a Russian ship full of uh, uh, scientists became trapped in the ice uh, off the coast of Antarctica, I believe. And, uh, um, and they were actually there to document the, uh, what they believed was the reduction of ice. But there was so much ice that got stuck. Um, China had sent an icebreaker ship um, to rescue them. That became stuck. They eventually were able to um, free the scientists and, and break up the ice a little bit and, and get the ships out of there. Um, but uh, one uh, group, Na uh, National Geographic, I mean, this isn't, you know, Fox News, this isn't uh, a conservative uh, group uh, necessarily. It's very scientific, National Geographic, that said there's more winter sea ice than in any year since recording started in 1978. Um, right. And when it comes to polar bears, they say uh, several of them, it, it's it's like people don't know how to count, Mary. They'll say there's it's a dwindling population, but they also say there's more than there's been since the 1970s. Um, are, are these just scientists? Uh, are there just scientists on both sides that are just so biased at this point that they're trying to prove their own bias? Or do you think there's real research going on still? No, I mean, I would argue that science is unbiased due to the scientific process that kind of regulates what's true and what's not true. But that's a whole different topic. Um, first of all, Polar bears, I think that has more to do with uh, us as human beings deciding that they, they are the new uh, panda bear, so to speak. <laughs> they are adorable. <laughs> they are adorable and very vicious creatures. Um, <laughs> they drink Coca-Cola by the gallon every Christmas. Yeah, I know. Uh, keen taste for human blood, I think, too. <laughs> Oddly enough. Um, but I think that in terms of polar bears, that's more... Uh, due to the human focus on limitations on hunting, preservation of natural lands, and captive breeding programs. Um, but when it comes to polar ice, this is actually kind of interesting. Uh, the increase is, uh, is actually due to a number of phenomena that are somewhat linked to, uh, to temperature increasing. Um, one of them being 
a loss of ozone uh, over the poles, which uh, oddly enough uh, creates circular winds. And what these winds do is they, they break up the ice and push it so that you have vast open spanses of liquid water. And with this liquid water being exposed to the elements where they would be otherwise covered in ice, it helps create more ice. Another thing that happens is actually because of these increasing temperatures in the poles, we're seeing more precipitation. And since uh, the, this precip is not saline or it, it you know, does not c contain any salt, it freezes at warmer temperatures than the salt water. And so both precipitation as well as loss of ozone is actually what's causing the sea ice, not colder weather. But this is completely against what all the what Al Gore had taught us again. Uh, the, 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 just between August 2012 and August 2013, um, the Arctic ice cap actually increased by 60 percent by 920,000 square miles. And according to Al Gore, the Arctic uh, ice was supposed to be just about gone by now. Um, the IPCC even claimed that uh, Himalayan glaciers would disappear by the year 2035. And obviously, that that's couldn't be further from the truth. Um, Mary, you, you mentioned something about how you believe the scientific method is pure, and uh, I, I like to believe so too, except that in this case, with, with, uh, with climate change or global warming, what we're, not, we're not seeing science here. What we're seeing is actually something more akin to religion. Um, scientists, in the traditional sense, are supposed to use data to test theories. Um, in the case of global warming, it's been the exact opposite. The climatologists will use the theory of anthropogenic global warming to test their data. Uh, and if the data doesn't fit, they cover it up or they think of uh, different reasons to cause it. So, so as you just mentioned, well, there's a million, there's a whole bunch of different reasons perhaps why Arctic sea ice is, is, is growing now. And, and, and Antarctic sea ice, in fact, has been steadily growing since 1979. And well, this, is not, this is not what Al Gore taught us. And, and it's just every year something else comes out that completely disproves these climatologist theories. And it's, it's, uh, it's, start, it's becoming less and less, ten, more and more tenuous. It's harder for them to hold on to, to their so-called so, so consensus anymore. Again, I would like to say, first of all, that climate is measuring weather trends over decades, if not centuries. And so to say that any one person is wrong because of something, some trend very short term that we're seeing within a decade, or you know, a few of your arguments based on weather uh, changes from 1999 onward, uh, that's just absurd. Like I said, climate is a long term uh, metric, and you know, to claim that uh, any of these short term uh, patterns are are justifying some sort of argument against global climate change is, uh, is inappropriate. Well, I, I'm not the one who claimed it. It was Al Gore that claimed it. Al Gore was the one who told us that catastrophe was going to strike. And all these <laughs> climatologists all agreed that, that the world is coming to an end. Everything, all the polar bears are going to die. All the ice caps are going to disappear. The, we're going to see an increase of five, six, seven, eight degrees Celsius. And yet none of this is happening. And well, that's why it's, it's religion well, and, and not and, science. And guys, can I jump in? Because we've only got a, a couple of minutes left. Um, but I wanted to ask you, and I think that this might be kind of what we're getting at, Mary, is that I, I think you, you're, you're talking about how climate is a study over long periods of time, potentially centuries. Um, and, uh, and 
uh, Mitch and I are both talking about kind of um, global warming alarmist advocates. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm just going to read off a couple of quick uh, quotes. Uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, a uh, Democrat out of California last year, uh, discussing the war on women, kind of. Uh, she said that global warming is going to cause more women to enter the world of prostitution to survive. Um, Democratic Congressman Peter DeFazio of Oregon uh, recently said that global warming skeptics are nothing but blathering idiots. Um, and uh, it seems with those kind of people, with, with NASA scientists in 2001 hypothesizing that aliens could potentially try and destroy humans because of how much uh, global warming uh, is taking place, uh, I, I feel as though uh, the, these particular people are the people of the global warming religion, not of the science, and they refuse to listen to you, Mary, and, and realize that it does take many years and that they're just going crazy with uh you know trying to explain these things and and i'll give both of you the last words sure so first of all i'd have to say that uh i agree that the the media has uh blown this up into a very volatile uh discussion but i think the important thing to realize is in order to make a an impression on the masses, you have to say dramatic things. Uh, whether or not these, you know, obviously I don't know anything about prostitution or <laughs> about aliens, uh, you know, destroying the human race. But what I do know is that if this trend continues, the entire global population is going to be in an absolute tumultuous situation. Uh, what I know is that agricultural systems under more volatile weather conditions will uh, crumble frequently. I mean, we've seen it with the drought in the United States. We see it with flooding. Uh, within the next several decades, I believe in the science. Uh, maybe not this, uh, this extremist uh, whatever portrayals that the media have blown it up into, but I honestly have seen firsthand, not only in the United States, but in the tropics, I've traveled uh, internationally throughout Africa and Central America, and have seen the struggles that people are going through with these more dramatic uh, weather patterns. Okay. And you know, wh whether or not these trends are going to continue, the ultimate thing to know is that if they do, things are going to get a lot worse than they already are. Okay, well, mention about and uh, like 30 to, seconds. And I I, I, ice, is, ice is the enemy of life, not uh, not water. So, um, and just I'd just like to point out real quickly, going back to going back to science and climate, climatologists, uh, the polar vortex in 1974, Time Magazine actually blamed that on global cooling. And now in 2014, the Time Magazine blames that on global warming. Um, and just as a final word, uh, this the, the claim of consensus that the scientists are 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 trying to dismiss any and all arguments from skeptics uh, because they claim that they have consensus. That's actually just the, nothing more than the first refuge of, scro of scoundrels, and it's just a way to avoid the debate uh, by claiming that the matter is already settled when in fact it isn't. And so 
anytime you ever hear a scientist say, oh, it's a consensus, oh, this is what everyone agrees on, reach for your wallet because you're being had. <laughs> well, guys, I want to thank you again for being a part of the show. Mary Tiedemann, uh, the research scientist out of Iowa State, and uh, Mitch Christmer, our, uh, our friend from the uh, nonpartisan federal agency, but he's worked with a lot of good conservatives, and uh, so I can vouch for his knowledge. Uh, thanks again, guys, for stopping by. Thanks for having us, Jake. Yep, thank you.